The first reading is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, it's on page 189 of the New Testament section of the Church Bibles. That's the part at the back of the Bible. So it's verses 15 to 23. <clears throat> I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then we turn to Matthew's Gospel for the second reading. It's chapter 25, verses 31 to 46, and you'll find this on page 27 and on the screen. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick and, or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't welcome me naked and you didn't give me clothing, sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they also will answer, 
Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we give thanks for that vision of Christ seated on the throne of glory. We pray that we would be transformed by that fact and know and love you more for it. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen. A moment of humbling the associate vicar before we start um, what we're thinking about. Um, I was preaching on this topic on Wednesday. I preached on it this morning. And actually, I'm preaching again on a different passage, but on the same sort of theme this evening. And and on Wednesday, um, the idea was this. We keep our feet on the ground and we look up to the heavens. And I I gave the analogy of something different. Many of you will know I'm a runner. Some of you might notice I'm hobbling. You can probably put two and two together. But I was saying I love fell running. The idea that you are absorbed by this very, very difficult style of running. Everything is changing. Big boulders, big rocks, big hills, um, big weather. Um, It absorbs your attention. And I was saying it's the best form of running. Everyone thinks you're crazy. Uh, Yeah, and then I do um, hurt myself, but I wasn't fell running. I only take that back. I was doing an even more silly sport, canny crossing, which if you know my dog, a big dog, you strap a large dog to you. Imagine a chariot, uh, a horse pulling a chariot. This, you get a large dog to run and pull you Um, at great speeds, Um, uh, and I thought it would be really boggy, and it has been for the last few weeks, but what happened two nights ago? It froze, Uh, and so, um, yeah, I turned my ankle on some really hard, icy ground, uh, and so now I have a grapefruit for an ankle, but I still hold the idea that fell running is absolutely brilliant, but We continue this idea this morning with the idea um, of Christ the King. When you go on holiday, do you ever head into the local church, the local cathedral, have a look round, see what statues are there, see what nice things are on the walls, paintings, frescoes, any stained glass, for example. They can often tell you quite a lot about a place, what is important to them. It's interesting when we think about our own church, we are called All Saints. And if you look over here, um, I haven't even counted, it's 20 20, um, people, many of which you'll have never heard of, but they they are influential through um, the movement of Christianity in the early centuries, far before the Romans brought Christianity, it was being brought through, uh, through Ireland, through Scotland, and through the north of England. And here are, I can see, King Oswin. Never heard of King Oswin, but obviously in his era, he was very influential. We remember the saints in those early centuries who brought faith. 
there are, you often sort of go around these cathedrals and you say, who is that person? I can't work out who they are. There are often these telltales. Um, there are some fun ones. If you ever see someone who looks maybe Old Testamenty, big beard, if they've got big beard, they're Old Testamenty, um, and they've got horns, or they've got sort of light beams coming out of their head, you're like, what is that? Anyone know who that is? That's Moses. Does Moses have horns in the Bible? No, he doesn't. But back in the medieval period, we mistranslated that his face was radiant. And when his face is radiant, mistranslated, it's mistranslated, and his face had horns. Who knows? And to this day, we still um, have Moses with horns, says a little one. See if you can spot it on your, on your holidays. Or what if you see someone um, in, often wearing black, often wearing a hood, looking a bit shifty, has a purse of money by his side. Who might that be? That's Judas. And so there are these ways of kind of working out who these various people are. Otherwise, you have hundreds of people And you're like, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? What story is that? What story is that? And so what is the function of all of these stained glass? If we think back to, say, the medieval era, um, how many people do you think owned a Bible? Or, say, in a parish, how many Bibles do you think there might be in that area? Often the answer was one. Uh, And it was a special Bible. We have a special Bible up here. But it was so valuable that they would actually chain it to the place that it was put. It was known as a chain Bible. Um, It was um, the only one often in an area, the only way to hear the words in the book was to come to the place where it was chained to hear those words. And then if you think how many people could even read it, And that changed from parish to parish, but often it was more people couldn't read it than could, so that they would purposely come and they would listen to those words spoken. But actually, you could only hear one, say, chapter, read one particular part of it. And what these stained glass uh, around you, these various statues, they would give you snippets, various insights into what was going on in scripture in those early people of faith and so they were your visual representation often of moments in the bible and so what about in our church we have these windows up here of the early saints these um, when the church was extended in this direction that was seen as a really key part that we would have in our church. But then if we look behind me, there are three small windows at the bottom. And what is it that is the central image right at the bottom? It is that of Jesus on the cross. And so in our Christian faith, we always say that what Jesus did and who he was on the cross is above all things the most central part of our own faith. And when you go into churches, the most central image that you will often see, almost without exception, will be Jesus on the cross. And so this is true of our own faith, that it's that most central moment 
it should never surprise us that it will see it wherever we go is that middle central image of our faith. And so for that reason, when we build our churches, we put it there, pride of place, because it, we never get beyond it. We, what Jesus did defines our faith. And yet he's not on the cross now. If you look at the wooden cross below it, we purposely, when we put these crosses, we don't have Jesus on the cross because he is no longer on that cross. And so today we remember Jesus in another way because Jesus died, he rose again from the grave, the grave could not hold him. And then he showed his power through that. And because of what Jesus was, who, who he was, that the grave could not hold him, that he was a sacrifice for us, yet he was without sin. He takes his place in glory with God the Father. And we remember today that he is raised into heaven. And actually, if we look directly above where we see Jesus on the cross, right at the top of our own middle window, we see that we remember that exact moment. Jesus seated on the throne. You can see that sort of radiant beams coming off him. He's wearing a crown. And so that is the highest image. I often think of it like this, that the cross is the central image, that we don't get beyond that in our Christian faith. But Christ seated on the throne is that greater reality, that full reality of what happened as Jesus on the cross. The reality now, through what Jesus did on the cross, is that he is seated on the throne of glory for all eternity. And so that is essentially what we are celebrating today. Go to our Ephesians passage. That first passage you heard is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, starting at verse 15. And it says, Pray so that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you are called, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance among the saints. And so the cross of Christ is, is a, this historical fact um, when I was studying to be a vicar, we, we had a theology department, we had a history department, and the history department was very happy with the idea that Jesus was, was a person, that he probably died on a cross, that they were not ever really doubting. But it was the difference between the history department and the theology department was, well, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? What does that change for us? And fundamentally, this is our question today. What is the difference that Jesus died on the cross, that he is seated on the throne of glory, that that greater reality is happening to us today? It goes on and says, he is above all rule and authority, every power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He has put all things under his feet. 
This reminds us that this isn't actually just a future vision. This isn't about when we die and when we are in heaven ourselves. This is telling us that this is a today thing. This, is, this vision of the kingdom affects who we are today. Now, if we look very, very carefully at the image above, can we see that there is something in Jesus' hand? In his hand, he is holding an orb, very similar to the one that was used at the king's coronation. Do you remember they put an orb in his hand, they put a scepter in his hand, and he looked very sort of awkward, sort of holding these big objects. But the, the point of giving him the orb is actually the same reason why Jesus is holding it, except Jesus is holding it for his, himself, and the king was holding it to remember about Jesus. And so simply put, the the orb is a big circle with a cross on it. And the big circle is meant to be the earth, and the cross on top is that Jesus is, and the effects on the cross sit on the entirety of the earth. The, The foot of the cross meets the earth, and everything that Jesus did transforms all of the earth. And so it was meant to remind the king in his coronation that it's not him who rules over the world. It's Jesus and what he did through dying on the cross. And it's his lordship that is reigning over the whole world. And so that weighty responsibility when we have monarchs crowned is to remember that they're not there as ruler over all things and over all dominion. They're there as um, stewards and partakers and joining in with the lordship of Christ. And that is the fundamental of giving him that object at his coronation. Let's change tack to our other reading. Um, When we consider Matthew 25, and this is talking of an event Um, that's meant to focus our minds really on today, on what we do today, how we are to live today. And people are being um, separated into two categories. There seems to be a left and a right. There seems to be a sheep and a goat, those whom Jesus knew and those whom he didn't know. But it's interesting. Both categories seemed a little confused by him, yet they are um, still put into two um, sides. Both of them seem to, to question him. When did we see that you were hungry, thirsty? I think we can boil it down to this. It's a bit like the history department and the theology department at Cambridge, it's one thing to to know the facts and it's one thing to be changed by them. The fact that Jesus lived, the fact that Jesus died was not the thing that was being questioned at that time. The, The thing that was being questioned is how will it change us? Will the knowledge of that make us be and act in different ways? They ask that question, don't they? When did we see you? Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry? When was it that we uh, gave you food and we were th- you were thirsty? We gave you something to drink. 
And he said, what you do for the least of me, you do for me. And there's that fundamental thing that it wasn't about having the right answer. It was about being changed by it. So, so what about being right? So what about um, thinking in a particular way? Has it changed anything in your life? So it's not saying, uh, when they said, Jesus, when do we ever see you? It's not saying, Jesus, were you in a disguise? Were you wearing fancy dress? It was fundamentally saying, were you changed by that knowledge? That knowledge that Jesus died and that Jesus is seated on the throne of glory. Ultimately, today, when we finish our church year and we celebrate a new church year next week and we go through that cycle again, We ask that question, so what? So what that Jesus is seated on the throne of glory? Is he up there and far, far away? Or is the fact and the truth of the cross and its transformation that comes, is it percolating through every fibre of our body, slowly, bit by bit, transforming us? into his glory. And that's not to say that we won't uh, mess up and we need to turn to him every day of our lives. But are we remembering that that transformation is there for us? That through the work of the cross, through Christ seated on the throne, we can see that changing us day by day. So today... As we commit, we recommit every Sunday, every day of our lives, every time we wake up to be faithful disciples, that we know the truths of God and that we are transformed by them. We remember that Jesus is seated on the throne of glory, his rightful place, um, blessed among all things, and that that does change things for us, that he is where he is rightful place is for us in heaven that we pray to him we know a god who loves us above all things let's pray together lord god we give thanks that you sacrificed yourself for us that though you were without sin you knew no sin you took on that sin for us so that we could be made right with you We pray that that truth would dwell richly in our hearts. That we might be transformed by it. That we would live lives differently through it. Freed from all the things that hold us down. All of the worries of life. We pray that we would lift our eyes and see you seated on the throne of glory. And that we would know you every day of our life. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen.